Hey, Retrospectors, for our third birthday, we've filmed an hour-long Q&A answering your questions. We discuss our favourite facts, how we make the show, and what we've learned along the way. If you're already supporting us on Patreon, thank you. You can watch it right now at patreon.com slash retrospectors. And if you're not a Patreon member, sign up. You don't have to pay a thing to become a free member and watch it now. So check it out. It's free. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's March 4th, 1966, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. When the famous interview in which John Lennon said the Beatles were now more popular than Jesus was published today in history in 1966, it actually landed without much reaction. But a few months later, US shock jocks got to it, and then it was all records being smashed and the Pope weighing in and death threats being issued by the Ku Klux Klan. Yes. Uh, these <laughs> remarks that John Lennon made were to Maureen Cleave, a friend of his and a journalist writing for the Evening Standard in London. She'd known the Beatles since 1963. She went to visit them at home individually. They all let their guard down and had a chat. And actually, you know, if you read the article now, the the, the stuff about the death of Christianity is so um, not the point of the article. Like, Mm. there's some really florid writing portraying life as a rock star in the English home counties. This is the sort of thing it says. They, the Beatles, watch films, they play rowdy games of buccaneer, they watch television till it goes off, often playing records at the same time. They while away the small hours of the morning making mad tapes. Bedtimes and mealtimes have no meaning as such. (laughs) And that was how this article was being sold. It's like the life of a beetle what's it like being john lennon yeah the article's a real roller coaster ride i mean lennon comes off as very eccentric very excitable he shows cleave around his home pointing out items like a fruit machine a gorilla costume a room full of model cars and a suit of armor called sydney and their conversation is full of random non sequiturs couple of samples don't the indians appear cool to you i've read millions of books and I've decided I'm a Celt. I'm on Bodicea's side. All those bloody blue-eyed blondes chopping people up. So you can totally (laughs) see how the Jesus comments pass totally under the radar. Yeah, and Lennon was in a period of deep dissatisfaction at the time, despite his huge wealth and obvious fame. You know, he was really just talking about his dissatisfaction between the the domesticity that he had on one hand and the huge social status he had on the other. He said at one point, I'm just stopping here like a bus stop. I'll get my real house when I know what I want. He was only 25 years old at the time, and he was really thinking about what comes next and, you know, had been doing a lot of, let's face it, psychedelics and what he came up with was a certain amount of like his own take on the world of religion and he used the word Christianity he was probably actually talking about the Church of England and its decline but Christianity was the word that he used and it's that that was really seized upon that's the thing I mean he's talking to a friend for a domestic audience and says Christianity will go it will vanish and shrink I needn't argue about that I'm right and I will be proved right we're more popular than Jesus now 
I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. <laughs> and by the way, <laughs> that's a more inflammatory thing. Yeah. That no one picked up on even now. Uh, yeah. It's twisting it that ruins it for me. Yeah. Um, and it reminds me of how in our episode about Jesus Christ Superstar, we talked about how in the UK... The idea of telling the story of the crucifixion from Judas's point of view had seemed like a perfectly inoffensive intellectual exercise. <laughs> and then when it went to the United States, even though it was a massive hit, suddenly they were like, oh, people take this really seriously here. Tim Rice foppishly sort of saying, oh, I thought it would be interesting isn't sufficient to justify what we've done. <laughs> and in the same way, when the Bible Belt got hold of these comments... It just had a completely different level of impact. Yeah, I mean, you'll hear it said that the remark didn't appear in the US, but it, actually it was reprinted in several articles in American publications soon after he initially said it, but nobody seemed to notice or care for a while. And that all changed in July. The Beatles were about to descend on the US for a nationwide concert tour. It would actually prove to be their last one. Sending the American music press, obviously scrabbling around for any fresh Beatles content with which to wow the public. Enter spicy teen zine date book. At the time, not one of the leading teen magazines, and one that lent a bit on the controversial side. Their July the 29th issue reprinted portions of the interview, out of context, and it splashed on the front cover, the strapline, I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. And astoundingly, when you look at the cover, directly above it was a quote from Paul McCartney in which he called the US a lousy country where anyone black is a dirty N-word. Yet this passed completely unremarked on, possibly because the ultra-conservatives leading the backlash knew that and liked it that way. But it's so weird to think that this is the controversy we focus on when Paul McCartney had said something which was much more inflammatory. Paul was head-on tackling civil rights and John was just musing about the Church of England. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the magazine, when it came out, attracted the attention of Tommy Charles, who was a DJ in Birmingham, Alabama. He worked at WAQY, and he was really a sort of forerunner of today's shock jocks, and he launched his own impromptu Ban the Beatles campaign. And first of all, he refused to play any of the band's music, and then he had this stunt uh, that was really sort of motivated more to promote his radio station rather than because he massively cared about Jesus as being potentially defamed by John Lennon and and really started to hammer home this idea that the Beatles weren't worthy of being played and maybe we should all rally against them. Yeah, and maybe we should burn their records. I mean, right. it strikes me like a YouTuber these days, like just making a video about Meghan Markle because he knows that people are going to click on it. You know, it's just like the Beatles are the most famous band in the world. All the teenagers in Birmingham, Alabama love the Beatles. They also love Jesus. This is the perfect story to get me some attention. So I'm going to do that. <laughs> he tried to make it sound like he was stepping in for American values as if Jesus Christ is somehow exclusive to the United States and a British person is allowed to have an opinion about him. And in an interview with ITN, explained an analogy that it would be as if an American group had attacked the Queen and were questioning the utility of the monarchy, completely ignoring the fact that, A, the comments weren't intended for publication in America, and B, Lenin was himself at this stage he hadn't quite got to the imagine no religion stage yet. He was someone who himself was raised as a Christian in a city where Christian denomination is regarded as pretty important. 
that was the background from which he was making these comments. All of that was ignored. Yeah, and as, when the word of the Fury reached the UK, Lennon was really dismayed. He couldn't even remember saying that, which is understandable when you read the interview. He seems to have rambled pretty much nonstop during the whole <laughs> of Cleve's visit. But it was also a headache for the Beatles team as well, preparing to go to the US for this tour, because this was a really tense time in the US socially. There were race riots in several cities that summer. Obviously, you had growing youth resistance to the Vietnam War and just sort of general social unrest. And there were genuine fears for the band's safety. On the previous leg of their tour in West Germany, Japan and the Philippines, they had received death threats in all of those countries over various issues. So as part of the damage control that Brian Epstein immediately set about orchestrating, he arranged a press conference upon the group's arrival in Chicago on the 11th of August for Lennon to explain himself and apologise, where he kind of said, you know, the same things that we've said. He was talking about England specifically. He wasn't criticising religion. He was just making an observation. And he said specifically, I'm not saying that we're better or greater or comparing us with Jesus Christ as a person or God as a thing or whatever that is. You know, he was obviously nervous that he was going to kick off another controversy. I mean, it wasn't exactly a gracious apology. The actual apology part is... I'm sorry I said it, really. I never meant it to be a lousy anti-religious thing. I apologise if that will make you happy. I still don't know quite what I've done. I've tried to tell you what I did do, but if you want me to apologise, if that will make you happy, then OK, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, but he also had Ringo sitting behind him, who's like rolling his eyes. You can imagine yeah. like in the dressing room, Ringo, because their lead single at the time was Yellow Submarine, that lustful work of the devil. You can imagine, can't you? Like yeah. Ringo and George just being like, ah, oh, oh, come John. on. I mean, at least it did help to make things start to die down for a bit and they really were able to continue their tour for a while until they got to Memphis which was one of the gigs they were particularly concerned about because of the part of the country it was in and the gig itself got out of hand when eventually some mischievous kid threw a cherry bomb and all of the Beatles stopped and thought that one of them had been shot. Fortunately, they hadn't, but basically it hung over them for the rest of the tour and really made them think this could have been the moment at which one of us got killed. And that's why just 10 days later at San Francisco's Candlestick Park, they famously played their very last gig prior to their TV appearances and the time they went up on the roof in London. Yeah, I mean, it could have got really dangerous. I mean, there were police there who were tasked with protecting them, which was unusual for concerts back then. Like, now you're used to the idea of a row of bouncers standing in front of the stage, but this was being done really for the first time mm. at the Memphis Coliseum. The Beatles were playing on a seven-foot stage that had been constructed especially to keep them away from the crowd. And they're used to hiding from teenage girls, not from the KKK. And it is notable as well that it did affect their ticket sales. I mean, mm. considering they were the biggest band in the world, the gig at Memphis Coliseum, the matinee of it anyway, was the only show on their tour which hadn't sold out. Yeah, and the city council in Memphis had even tried to cancel the two shows over safety fears. So possibly some people who would have liked to have gone did stay away because they were worried that it would kick off, that something would happen. There was a KKK demonstration outside the venue where they apparently nailed a Beatles LP to a crucifix. About 8,000 locals attended a separate anti-Beatles rally in the city. So, that, I mean, the nasty atmosphere wasn't being imagined. There really were a large amount of people in the city who didn't want the Beatles there. Yeah, and I mean, the whole business hung over John for the rest of his life, even after their breakup. The more popular than Jesus line continued to ruffle feathers down the years. And one person who was especially dismayed was Mark David Chapman, who was a young uh, born-again Christian who had idolised the Beatles, but became really upset when he learnt about that John Lennon quote. And his sort of fury then escalated into... 
the full-blown psychotic obsession that ended up leading him to take John Lennon's life. Yeah, it's often presented as a kind of curio, this, in Beatles history. Oh, do you remember when the Beatles were nearly cancelled? But as you say, Mm. it had really lasting impact. One of the amusing asides is that when they were designing the front of Sgt Pepper, John did want Jesus on it. And he was overruled. <laughs> I'm going to assume behind the scenes, Ringo put his foot down then. We're much too big for that guy. <laughs> Tomorrow. The sheer bold capitalism that's embodied by the fact that it appears on pretty much every kind of trinket and you know cheap throwaway item under the sun. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.